Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 210. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Newman and Badil of L.A., Jesse and Alex. I know who David Badil is. Oh, hey, look at that. All right. I know mm-hmm. that man. What about Robert Newman? Who Who is that man? You can't just mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm aware of, I don't know these people. David Badil is like a comedian from like, I would say like the late 80s, early 90s was his like heyday. And he was in, he was a part of two separate comedy partnerships, both yeah. of which considered to suck. His suck. I mean, he's really famous. He's, he's, uh, he's a neurotic, he's like a neurotic. His deal is that he's like neurotic and annoying. You know, he's like that type of comedian. Like he's like, I don't want to say Woody Allen because it like conveys some things that I'm like not trying to put in this guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe not correct. But he also famously bedded one of the Spice Girls or more than one of the Spice Girls, but like they didn't have sex with them or something. Like he was like in bed Wait, with what? They like wingmanned each other out of having sex with. Them. There's like a great story, but you can look it up. I'm David. Yeah. Badil. Wow. Get out of here. So you're wait. So who are you? I'm going to be David Badil just because I know who he is. So, Jesse, you're Robert Newman. Sure, yeah. Robert what? Newman is an English comedian, author, and political activist, found mainstream fame with the Mary Whitehouse experience before forming a successful partnership with one of the program's other comedians, David Badil, in the early 90s. Okay, yeah, all right. Robert Newman? Robert Newman. No, he's not the American one from Los Angeles? Nope, this is the one from England. Wow, he got bodied by this other Robert Newman, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> He was adopted into a working class family who lived in Hertfordshire. Oh, I recognize his face, but I, I don't really know him that well. I don't, but that's who he is. That's okay. That's well, there we go. We figured out who's who on a rather, rather quick uh, pace this time around. I bet you didn't think I was going to know about David Badil, bro. I don't know who, what you're going to know about and who you're going to know about, but lately I've been able to stump you guys on uh, who people are. Apparently, also, this is like the third time I've called you the, like, Laurie and Fry of L.A., apparently, and I just have no memory of doing it ever, so. Are you doing this from memory? Are you just, like, you are, like, obsessed? Yeah, the, like, I told you there's no list. There is no list. I'm not writing things down. How some people, like, <laughs> love trains. You're just, like, into, like legacy british comedy there you go. Oh, that's what time it out, is. time out what do you mean there's no list i don't have anything written down are you going to a website though that has a list or you don't have a list i don't have a list and i'm not using a list what are you searching from memory i what am i i'm not gonna spoil how i find what i find from memory these this one in particular came off of an old uh an old forum in from like 2005 great so incredible cool. Next time, I'm, 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 I hope to be the Kane and Lynch. That's how I discovered the, the, these two. <laughs> yeah. The Kane yeah. and Lynch of L.A. Who's Kane That's, and Lynch? Dude. Is that the, the, day. the robbers? All right. Yeah. The ones that, that made a really terrible second game. Yeah. That caused Giant Bomb to create or become created. Uh, did that happen? Isn't that the story of like how Giant Bomb, because Kane and Lynch review went up. He reviewed it badly, but they paid them money. And then Jeff Gertzman went left. Uh, and made Giant Bomb and did his own thing, and that's how that arose. I had no idea. I don't know anything about anything. I know as much about that as I do about those two guys you mentioned that I've already forgotten their names. That's who you are. Because now I can think about is Kane and Lynch. That's the only <laughs> duo I can think of right now. I'm the one with the so, long hair in that duo. Uh, just uh, that's all I got. The bald top and the long hair. The crazy yeah, that's guy. Me. Yeah, right. that's me. How can we help you grow more hair, Alex? I don't know. I, you know, as I get older, it just kind of goes backwards and thins out. You know, that's just kind of the vibe. <laughs> that's just, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting any work done. I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I'm not going to change it. Can we, should we put that on Patreon as a tier of like 
hair treatment for every all of us. All three of us is getting plugs. <laughs> oh my god, we all get yo. If I'm getting plugs, I'm getting like crazy ones. Oh yeah, no, like, obviously, I want, I want like long locks dude oh, i yeah. want to see jesse with long red hair and a huge fan just having his locks blow in the wind oh yeah that, see yeah if i'm gonna do it i'm going all out listen the ten thousand dollar tier that's still up there that's what that's gonna go to the plug tier the that's now the plug it was the make jesse believe anything tier but now it's the plug tier where's where's the rich saudi prince that's gonna pay for that i want to like saudi oil plugs hey mr mr saudi prince who loves the chaluminati podcast please just pay my debts please just pay my debts don't give me hair plugs no 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 that's good that's good i need give me to a place long i would like yeah like long luscious locks i just want to sleep tightly one night in my 30s no you don't need that what i need is hair so long i can make a bed out of it and I lay on <laughs> well, you my can own lie hair. down anywhere it's just soft yeah i no just like what. bundle it up and lie on my own hair yeah what in the world all right and for I'm, some yeah. reason birds and like fawn are attracted to me and i sing to them yeah. you're just a, you're just you're just a disney princess at this point why can't i be anyone can be a disney princess yeah that's you know what that's beautiful i like that that's the magic my man that's the magic the of disney it. princesses the aladdin and jasmine of la right here that's us see now that makes more sense instead of like the Horton and the Who of LA. Like, even that makes more sense than what you say. <laughs> Newman and Badil. That's nonsense. I taught you My something today. My apologies to Newman and Badil. You're very welcome. Your nonsense. brain, your brain is a, a temporary nugget. And it's that would be right like now. another show saying the Jesse and Alex of. They like, should. I don't blame them if they're like, who the hell are these people? Who the people? fuck are those guys? Was that your plug, by the way, for the, 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 the Patreon, Alex? Go pay my debts, please. If you... If you're if you're a Saudi prince, don't head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash pod. Just send fourteen thousand dollars to uh my PayPal. Uh patreon.com forward slash chaluminati pod. <laughs> uh, don't I go need, on the D- Dean, I need you to make a note to your British voice over right, Chaluminati. Okay, thank you. <laughs> don't pay don't pay for hair plugs. That's not what we need. What we need is a lot less money, and in return, what we'll give you is not just ad-free episodes, but mini sodes after every episode. And if you don't know this, the continuing story of the stones, there's now what? Eight stones? Come on. There's, there's like eight stones. Listen, we'll change the plug tier to the stone tier, and you can just write the ending of the story yourself, and it'll make just as much sense. I think that's what these guys did, to be honest with you. But hey, go there, check that out, and Mathis is slowly but surely starting to watch the X-Files on our brand new, fresh, brand new, straight off the presses show, Rotten Popcorn. There's only, what, 10 episodes? 12 episodes? 11. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Just, Just sitting there for you to hear. We've been doing that show for over a year now. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> like, I'm just how crazy like I said, feel? like I said, heading backwards, thinning out. That's all it is. That's all it is. Well, with that phenomenal segue, no, you're right. We did part one of the Enfield Poltergeist, and today will be the second and final part of this chilling tale of the Enfield Poltergeist. So, at the very beginning, let's just say, if you remember, our previous installment had brought us to the point in the Enfield Poltergeist investigation and story where Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair. Had decided to invite one name. Still not over that name, dude. Mm, mm, so many good names. They remember the, <clears throat> we left off talking about how he decided they. It was one of their attempts to study or debunk this potential haunting. They invited over a magician, and I said we'd be talking more about the magician today. Well, that's where we're going to be picking up. His name was David Blaine, and he made the house disappear. Oh shit! And it was on <laughs> cable TV. Is this your card? Are you paying attention? 
Uh, this magician's name was Milborn Christopher. Milborn Christopher? Not Christopher Milborn? Nope. Milborn <laughs> first, Christopher second. Not, a, not like another last name? He's just of the like North Hampshire Christophers? Oh, <laughs> yep. yo, this guy, I looked at his Wikipedia page. This guy's lit. His Wikipedia page literally has him with the House of Cards. Yep, there you go. Milborn Christopher. Take a look. There you go. He's a magician. House of Spirits, House of Cards. Same there you thing. go. Uh, at the time, he was a prominent magician known more for debunking paranormal claims than for adver- uh, advocating for them. And that makes sense. He's As like a, a Houdini fanboy? Yeah, in a way. He, he knew the tricks of the trade, right? He kind of understood. He was like, he was a magician, not because he was a fun magician. He was a magician because he wanted to know why things were the way they were, and he wanted to ruin it for you. <laughs> That's how I kind of look at the guy. He didn't get into it for the fun part. He was like in it for the debunking. I bless this dude. Yeah, it, it, very valuable for something like this. So he came with, he wasn't here to pl- plus up his reputation. He was here to say, like, there are no ghosts here. That, that was like his main goal was to see like, listen, dude, I know all how this shit is done. Let me just do it for you. And so he swung over and he was a welcome addition to the investigation. Again, Gross and Playfair were wanting to do this as accurately as possible. Uh, and he was expected to provide an objective and perhaps skeptical viewpoint. And when uh, Christopher arrived at the seemingly ordinary house in Enfield, he was greeted with an air of anticipation. The Hodgson family and the two seasons investigators that had been there for a little while from the Society of, lest you forget, Psychical Research, they were eager for him to lend his expertise to the proceedings at hand. Could he replicate the bewildering phenomena that they had been witnessing? Could he potentially expose the whole affair as nothing more than an elaborate hoax? So Christopher spent hours in the Hodgson home observing the environment, scrutinizing the recorded phenomena and interacting with the family as often as he could. He took particular interest in Janet and Margaret, the two Hodgson sisters who seemed to be the focal points of the strange occurrences. What are their their different ages again? Uh, Janet is 11. Margaret is 13, I believe. Okay, okay. Uh, Janet is the one that we uh, listened to last week that had the weird voices coming up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, that one. She's also the one in the photo that is her quote-unquote levitating. Jumping from bed to bed? Looks like she's jumping off the bed, correct. You know those uh, fairies? You ever, you ever, uh, you know that those famous fairies that are like notorious? I, I don't forget. I think they're in the English countryside somewhere. Maybe in the, maybe in the New England. I can't remember, but it was like two girls, and they like were like, I saw these fairies, and they like took pictures and shit, and they were no. like pretty young. So everybody, they called like the Cottingsley, Cot, Cottingsley fairies or something like that. I have to look into this. I- and they and they had this whole racket going, and they were like kids, and they like. Just got everybody excited because they're like girls. How could they're like little girls? Like, how could they do this? What were they like? Girls can't imagine things or create age, age 11 and 13. Come on. Come no, on I agree I, wholly. And that's where, you know, that's what it should be. Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, Dean, thank you for grabbing us a wiki link here. Uh, the Cottingly Fairies appeared in a series. Oh, yeah, those just look like toys. Dude. There's a movie, I think, about these girls. That's wild. Well, that's something I, I, there's a whole rabbit hole I can't dive into right now. This is too much. I'll, I'll worry about that. In yeah, a this second. is a different episode. I'm just, yeah, I just absolutely. was using it as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great little touchstone. Absolutely. So the, the magician spent hours at the home and taking interest in those particular girls. And despite his extensive knowledge in illusion and deception, he still struggled to replicate many of the phenomena reported at the Enfield house using simple trickery. His visit didn't provide the clear cut answers everyone had hoped for, but instead, 
It further deepened the mystery surrounding this Enfield poltergeist haunting, adding to the narrative a layer of credibility further that the skeptics had difficulty explaining away. Remember, this is, he, remember, remember, this is also, there's other, other people gross and playfair have already brought in, witnesses who have seen similar things, and this is just another one to add to the pile. We also talked about the police officer who said she saw the chair run across the floor uh, last episode as well. As the dust settled from Christopher's visit, Gross and Playfair continued their investigations, still trying to grapple with the inexplicable phenomena. But despite his efforts, there, were many, there were, aren't many specific recorded instances of Billboard and Christopher successfully debunking, debunking the happenings at the Hodgson home. Uh, he examined the girls trying to catch them out in any sort of trickery and spent time reviewing physical evidence, including the infamous levitation uh, photographs of Janet. Uh, one of the things he did, this is a funny story um, that I read, uh, that I remember reading in the book, rather, is uh, he would sit on the stairs late at night and wait quietly. And if he heard a noise or whatever, and he would be like right as close to the girl's stairs as he could, if he heard a noise, he would then fucking sprint up the stairs and try and bust in the room to like catch the girls in the act of making the noise. And every time he would go in there, they were just lying down, not doing anything. But didn't didn't she already say that some of the stuff she faked? Yes, about one to two percent of it is what the estimation was. And we'll get at the end of the episode, we'll get a a quote from adult Janet on what uh, she said she believes happened and all this stuff. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll get to all that still. Yeah. So uh, Christopher applied his magician's mind skilled in the art of deception to each of the reported phenomena, the moving furniture, the inexplicable fires, the objects flying through the air. He tried to reproduce these events through trickery, though, but he could not replicate many of them, particularly those that had occurred in front of men, uh, multiple witnesses. And as a seasoned magician, Milbourne brought a certain lightheartedness to the intense and often stressful investigation in the home. His experience with illusion and trickery allowed him to approach the case with a unique perspective. And indeed, they, these, there were instances when his efforts to debunk the phenomena brought some unexpected, humorous proceedings. One anecdote that really kind of stuck out uh, involved Christopher attempting to replicate the levitation incidents, the ones that he saw the photographs of. Now, you have to remember, Christopher is not a child. He's not a sprung, like a spry young dude. I don't like that when you say, when you call him Christopher, because it makes it sound That's like his last he is. Name, I know, but, but it just, it makes him sound like he's Christopher Robin. Milborn. Milborn was no spry young uh, dude. He, he was an older guy and was tr- didn't really have a knack for defining the laws of physics. So as he tried to mimic the reported floating movements of Janet on the bed, we just sit there, you know, in the room with him. You, he found himself awkwardly hopping around the room, much to the amusement of and the kids in the room at the same time. He was getting on the bed and jumping off the bed and leaping off the floor. And, try, and this old man in his best attempts to, like, recreate the photo. And I just just thinking of this dude who's just like, I'm a magician. I know what I'm doing. And he just jumps up off the bed. It matters so much that she was, like, a little girl. You know what I mean? Like, she's so much. She's, like, one-third the weight of you, bro, Christopher. <laughs> no. Oh, and it's like the, I can hear the creaking of the bed as this man is trying to jump off of it. Come on, Chris. <laughs> Another like, funny incident occurred when he attempted to dis- disprove the reported flying objects. Using his magician sleight of hand, he would fling various small objects across the room, claiming that the girls could have done the same thing when no one was watching. This led to a brief, impromptu, poltergeist episode of its own 
with objects whizzing about, controlled not by unseen forces, but by a magician. He was literally in the room, and when people weren't looking, he would be like, think, 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 and just start throwing things. And anytime somebody looked over, he wasn't doing anything. That's but he was so just ridiculous. Just hurling things around the room and just being like, see, they could be doing it too. And the thing is, I mean, he's kind of right. He's, if nobody's looking, he's just fucking throwing a fork. Yeah, just like he's got a fork in his sleeve, a couple of cards and another one, a weird meatball that came out of last night's dinner. And he's just fucking throwing them around the room. I just, I love that, that picture in my mind. It's important to note that while these moments were, yeah, funny, they did serve a significant purpose. His humor and levity helped to diffuse some of the tension that permeated the house, and his debunking attempts, even when unsuccessful, highlighted the necessity for critical scrutiny in the face of inexplicable phenomena. So following Christopher's inconclusive visit, two more people from the uh, psychical research group, Anita Gregory and John Belloff, began their own inquiry into the haunting here at the Enfield Poltergeist. Gregory's skepticism was evident from the start. She found Janet and Margaret to be unreliable witnesses, noting that many of the most dramatic phenomena seemed to occur only when they were not under direct observation. What's interesting is like that's correct, and it definitely leads to easier hoaxing. But the same thing was very much true of the Jeff the Mongoose case. Which was not a hoax, as we know. That was real. Yeah, that was very real. The Jeff the Mongoose case, very real. Uh, But it's just similarities. How could he ride the bus if it was a hoax? I mean, like, how would he know those things if it was a hoax? A bus driver wouldn't let a mongoose onto a bus it wasn't he hitting wasn't he hitting on that dude's wife too like trying to like get on the the wife he was spreading secrets around town that guy was he was a cad but he brought you but you also offered him a dead rabbit or two and he was happy he's a mongoose Mongoose is a mongoose is a mongoose you know what they say that's shakespeare so that you know same idea gregory even suggested that the girls were playing tricks capitalizing on the attention of the investigators again young girls that have kind of a, a, a no father figure in their life, just a single mom who's working her ass off for five kids. As we talked about in episode one, having these two around who were paying attention to them, who made them feel like they were cared and seen for. Yeah, you could see an 11 year old and like a, an eight year old and a 13 year old doing their best to keep them around and enjoying them hanging out. No way. Real haunting, dude. Real. No, I mean, also, that's also the second option. Real. Just stamp it. Yeah. Boom. Tell the Warrens. <laughs> For instance, one of the phenomena was a series of knocking sounds. Gregory, unsatisfied with the evidence that had been presented, believed it could be easily faked by the girls banging on the floors or walls. The same went for the reports of levitating objects. Gregory was convinced that it could be a result of the girls throwing things when no one was watching, much like the magician as we just spoke about. And John Belloff, sharing Gregory's skepticism, also doubted the objectivity of Gross and Playfair. He questioned their methods and suggested that they might have become too emotionally involved with the Hodgson family to maintain their objectivity. Another reminder that Gross has lost a daughter by the name of Janet, who about a year and a half prior to this investigation happening. And it's important to keep that in mind when looking at this, that they're so it's just hyper focused on another Janet, basically another Janet who might have evidence of an afterlife you know affecting her which could also you know it's not really talked about but that's something i thought about is like uh, there's also that other layer of like if this is true there's that that comfort i'm sure he has of like his daughter might have an existence beyond the physical after her death uh which might just keep him wanting to prove that this is true 
you know, the emotional entanglement, I think, is is absolutely... Uh, Don't they just have, like... What? Isn't it, like, the 70s? Like, isn't it, like, almost the 80s? Yep, we're in 1977 Don't right they now. have just, like... Can't they just, like, wire this house up like Kitchen Nightmares? And well, just, no, no, like, they did. They did. They have all kinds of things. But wiring the house doesn't stop the girls from playing tricks when no one's watching. If nobody's watching, they're still going to record weird noises, even if the, if the girl's doing it. That doesn't really help. We I don't have mean, like, digital cameras video? yet. No, no, we don't. It's 1977. It's- yeah, and the best you're going to get is one of those uh, Steven Spielberg 8mm things. Yeah, you're right. Like a Super 8 camera. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You don't really have a lot of easy way to film things. It was more about snapping a quick picture. That's the best they could do. But before we delve back into the perplexing events of Enfield, I'd like to just take a quick step back and delve to, into the, a small past of to who our skeptical investigators are, Anita Gregory and John Belloff. Anita Gregory was born in Austria in 1925 and later moved to England, where she gained a PhD in psychology from the University of London. Her interest in parapsychology began during her time as a student, and she joined the Society for Psychical Research in the 60s. Gregory was known for her rigorous approach to investigations and her commitment to finding logical explanations for purported paranormal phenomena. She authored numerous articles for the SPR journal and held a range of posts within the organization. John Belloff was a renowned British psychologist and parapsychologist born in 1920. He was a senior lecturer at the University of Edinburgh, or Edinburgh, Edinburgh, how do you say that? Edinburgh. I I don't know that there's a way to say it with an American accent that will satisfy every person. And the author- That's it, that's the one. There you go. And the author of many books- Edinburgh. Author of many books on parapsychology and consciousness. Belloff had been a member of the SPR since the 50s and held the position of president from 1974 to 1976. So when he's here to investigate, he's no longer president. When the Enfield Poltergeist case erupted in 1977, it quickly caught the attention of the SPR. The organization organization had a history of investigating claims of hauntings and poltergeists, and the Enfield case, with its plethora of alleged phenomena and media attention, was no exception. And given their reputation for rigorous investigation and their history within the SPR, it was only natural for Gregory and Belloff to be interested in this huge case that sprung up out of nowhere. Moreover, their inherent skepticism provided a much-needed counterbalance to the conviction of Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair that the phenomena were genuine, because it's true at this point they were both wholly convinced this was real. Armed with their wealth of experience and a healthy dose of skepticism, Gregory and Belloff ventured into the Enfield case prepared to challenge a prevailing narrative. In Gregory and Belloff's investigation of the Enfield a case marked a significant turning point in the narrative entirely. Their skepticism and assertive questioning were a marked contrast to the acceptance of the supernatural that had dominated the investigation up until that point. Their scrutiny was not limited to the phenomena themselves, but extended to Gross and Playfair's methodology and perceived lack of objectivity. Even though Gregory and Belloff couldn't definitively debunk the phenomena, their skepticism added a layer of another layer of complexity to this whole thing. Their work emphasized the need for scientific rigor and objectivity in these investigations, setting a standard for future cases moving forward. Something that's relevant even today in all paranormal in- investigations. Yeah, yes. Meanwhile, while this was going on, across the Atlantic, another team of paranormal investigators that we are much more familiar with was beginning to take an interest in the happenings of Enfield. Are they like really hot, like movie star hot, like Patrick Wilson Vera Farmiga hot? Oh, 
oh, you might be correct, uh, except not that hot. But those same characters, Ed and Lorraine Warren, renowned for their work in the field of demonology and ghost hunting, had been following the case from afar. Yeah, the, the word of this Enfield poltergeist in the paranormal sphere had rocketed across the ocean very quickly. Uh, and became a huge topic for people inv- interested in this kind of thing. And so, of course, Ed and Lorraine Warren got whiff of this thing and figured there must be a way they can weasel their way in. The husband and wife team had been involved in a number of high-profile cases, including the one that started this podcast off way back when, the Amityville Haunting. The Conjuring, part one. Yeah. I mean, is that what The Conjuring, part one is about? I haven't no, seen it. I, I, so. I, well, what, what's the, is the doll movie a different movie? Megan? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no one can see Alex dancing right now, but he pulled off the Megan moves. It was great. It was perfect. Uh, <laughs> uh, Annabelle. Annabelle is a different movie. Annabelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know what The Conjuring is about, but I know it's the Warrens that are like the focus of all The Conjuring movies. And one of The Conjurings, one of The Conjurings, they're definitely doing the Amityville horror. Yeah, that would make sense. This, this uh, Enfield one is Conjuring 2. And for whatever reason, they give the Lorraine Warren like massive psychic powers in these Hell movies. Yeah. It's very weird. She probably says she has them in real life. Well, she does. She does. Yeah. She, she claims to be a medium. But yeah. in the movies, she's having like the one I saw in theater. She was having like a ghost brain, like a, fighting a ghost in her brain so she could like continue. What? I don't know. It was fucking weird, dude. I'm, I can't explain it. As we all know, the movies are real, though, so, like, that's... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, in the late 70s, the Warrens had made a decision. They're gonna journey out to England and check out this Enfield haunting for themselves. And their investigation was markedly different from those of other investigators, including even Gross and Playfair. Ed, a self-proclaimed demonologist, and Lorraine, who professed to be a clairvoyant, approached the case with a sense of already certainty that the phenomena was being caused, not only real, but was being caused by dark, malevolent forces. And as you know, that's the best way to start an investigation. Yeah, if you're going to fly across to England to investigate, you better be sure that it's a demonology haunting that's happening and not anything else, and don't concern yourself with anything else. Jesse, you look hurt by that or, or confused by that. Isn't that, isn't that how you would hunt I'm, a ghost? No, I'm not confused. I'm, I can't wait for more. I'm excited to see what psychic mind battles we're going to get into. You dude, you are going to be disappointed. (laughs) Ed Warren later stated that they considered the Enfield poltergeist to be one of the most disturbing cases they had ever encountered. The Warrens alleged that they witnessed several paranormal phenomena during their visit. Fuck off. Including moving furniture and levitating toys. However, their involvement in the Enfield case has been heavily disputed. Anything with them involved, I'm like, this is completely fake. Uh, that's a good way to, you know what? Like they approach a haunting when they approach haunting with demonology in mind, we approach them with hoax in mind. Yeah, no. Agreed. They, while they dispute what Playfair and Gross say, I'm more, I more lean to what they say to be the truth because they were with the family for over a year. Um, why it's disputed is, well, Guy Playfair in particular ended up stating that the Warrens visited the house wholly uninvited. They were showed up at their doorstep without telling them and spent one single day there. And they were like, this is the worst thing we've ever done. And then, yeah, and it contradicts, but it contradicts their account of their involvement. Like, they, that's what Playfair says happened. What they say happened is they were there a lot longer. 
Ed and Lorraine Warren were were fixtures of the paranormal investigators t- investigations by this time the case had popped up and they had worked on several high profile cases so their reputation often led to their involvement in new paranormal incidents but they had been they had been denied by the family they didn't want them there and they showed up anyway unannounced spent a day and then essentially made up a ton of shit that didn't actually happen which is why Ed and Lorraine Warren are giant con artists and we're in it for the money and we're never really highly suspected that they ever came across no. anything haunted ever. And if they did, they played it up so much. What? I know, Jesse, I'm sorry to shatter. I know you're working on a fanfic where you're like the third in this poly relationship. The Warrens were his one thing he believed in. Yeah, well, like, I, am, I think the draft I read, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren were becoming a, uh, an open poly group and you were being brought into the poly. Oh, shit. Right. It's very similar to the Greenstone story. Right. Wholly factual yeah. based on events that yeah. happened in your life. I changed my name to Giuseppe Cox. So. <laughs> yeah, dude, move. that's a good move. Yeah, that's a very yeah. good move. And then yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. go do anything. Just be just write the story, but never get involved. Right. I showed up for a day and then I wrote a book. Yeah, yeah just ne- <laughs> never get invited. <laughs> Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay, okay. We got to get back to the actual, the people who are not making up anything, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, the news of the Enfield poltergeist had spread far beyond the UK, capturing attention of the global media. And given the Warrens' keen interest in this phenomena, we don't know exactly how they found out about it, but it's likely that they became aware of this case through these channels, magazines and such. However, the specifics of when and how they first learned about the case is not really widely known. The Warrens arrived in Enfield sometime in the late 70s. According to Playfair, their visit was uninvited and lasted a day. However, the Warrens have suggested that they were more deeply involved. This discrepancy added another layer, like a layer of controversy between it all. But if you do any research on Gross Gross and Playfair compared to the Warrens, it's very obvious whose word you should probably take, even if they're more emotionally engaged in this case as a whole there the warrens claim to have experienced several of the phenomena that had become really associated with it with like i said the moving furniture and levitation stuff and of course ed warren even stated that he felt a strong malevolent presence lingering within the house something that he associated with the demonic activity there was he was basically there's a demon here there's a demon here and he wants your kids and he's going to make toys levitate until the soul is gets handed over it's like the lamest demon of all time. You're just knocking on walls, levitating toys, and that's your demon? Maybe that's all he can do, bro. Like, not every demon's gonna be Satan, my man. Why you gotta be like this? Dude, what do you think, like, a rookie demon has to go do? You think, like, haunting a young girl is, like, assignment one for all brand new demons? First, you gotta haunt a piece of shit. Then you gotta jump from okay. the piece of shit into a little girl. Okay. And then, uh, you gotta, uh... Like, yeah. I don't know, like, just make a mess. Yeah. Like, make the biggest mess you can, I think, is step three. And then Amityville Horror, step four? Yeah, and then, like, own a house. That's your next thing. <laughs> All right. It's a, it's a nice corporate ladder. And that's the problem. It's house ownership is tough. It's faster for a demon than it is for a millennial, and that's really Still the tough, though. That's the main issue. Still hard. Not easy for a demon. It's a ladder there for them to climb, unlike us, you know? Uh, we didn't get that ladder. Despite these claims from the Warrens, the specifics of the Warrens' investigation is not well documented because surprise, surprise, guess who didn't keep a log of any of the things they did while they were there? What? <gasps> the Warrens. What? what? Yeah. Hell yeah. Everything, everything they say is a personal testimony. 
rather than a detailed investigation log like Gross and Playfair had been doing from the very beginning. So this lack of documentation, along with this one-day duration of their visit and the discrepancies between their accounts and those of other investigators, led to some skepticism regarding the extent and validity of the Warrens' involvement. And that's all they did. And that, that is the basis for The Conjuring 2. That, that little, like, we showed up, it's a demon, and they left. That's the entirety of what they used for The Conjuring 2, which is just crazy. Following this whirlwind visit by the Warrens and their uh, rather controversial claims, the case of the Enfield poltergeist moved into its next and quieter phase. The intense media interest began to very slowly wane, and the investigation conducted by the Society of Psychical Research had been considered concluded. The SPR's final report on the case reflected the differing views of its members. While Maurice Gross and Guy, Lyon play, uh, Guy Playfair rather, remained wholly convinced to the very end that the authenticity of the phenomena was real, Anita Gregory and John Belloff, the other two that, there, that were there, maintained their skeptical stance on this whole thing. Over time, the strange events at the Hodgson home began to decrease in frequency and intensity. And by 1979, two years after it all began, the bizarre happenings had ceased entirely. They got tired of it. I, I guarantee you that is literally what happened. I'm very, yeah, yeah I was thinking, like, I have it open. I'm like, I'm curious. What is your thoughts? The girls, the girls got tired of it. Just like anything in life. They were like, yeah, all right, we did that and moving on. You think the same thing, Alex? Do you think that's what it was? They just got bored of it? It got so big that they decided to just disappear it you know what i mean like let me devil's advocate you a little it's bit. like fargo you know what i mean like just if we look at this from the other lens some, something like the lens of jeff jeff the mongoose as the attention for it began to wane do you think its own interest in in being here waned and it would maybe potentially moved on i don't really i don't really believe that's how hauntings work or demons work well poltergeists are not the same remember poltergeists are entirely different category than a ghost i've just never heard of a poltergeist okay but i've just never heard of a poltergeist that's like here and then it like goes over to another house unless it's like following someone no yeah yeah. i'm not saying that it it definitely moved on to another house but perhaps it got just bored itself and left and did and be like jeff the mongoose vanished maybe we're not thinking of what really happened that finally it was put to rest and it ascended in a beam of light and joined all the other poltergeists at the pearly gates, the golden gates of heaven. And that was it. They saved that soul. Maybe you're not thinking about that, Mathis. Hmm? Okay, so here's my other thought, all right? Listen, I'm about to go and listen, Jesse. I need you to think about this for a minute, okay? What if an epic psychic battle occurred between <laughs> a demon and the poltergeist was, like, actually not the bad guy, but there was another ghost that was the bad guy, and then that poltergeist and the psychic worked together to fight the demon, and then at the end he was like, thank you, and then, like, floated to heaven. Do you think it's huh? not a coincidence that after the visit of the Warns, things slowly began to slow down because maybe it was a demon and there was a psychical battle between Lorraine Warren and this demon? It makes perfect sense to me. Well, okay. So I wanted to bring this up and we're going to kind of veer off into a weird conversation here. As we've talked about many times. Oh, yeah, we're going to go to a weird conversation okay, no, now? No, seriously, I'm going to tie this and Jeff the Not Mongoose. after four years? We're, gonna, we're actually going to go now? I'm going to tie this, 
Jeff the Mongoose and Quantum Mechanics all together right this moment, okay? Watch this happen. And I hate he, this. I, why did I teach you about this? What is happening? I love this. It's like the green stone. Like, so, okay, so we already talked about in the Minnesota a couple weeks ago how few scientists won Nobel Prize to prove that, like, quantum mechanics the way they're measured is in like it's only it only takes it exists in all states until it's measured then it's a state and then you can know the other entangled atom state um we also put sapphire into quantum super uh, superposition recently like literally this couple weeks ago and the idea is okay what if again the theory that ghosts aliens cryptids all these things are the same thing and it's when we're looking at them and our own brain is interpreting them that they take the shape of whatever they're taking because they're being measured, quote unquote, in that moment. So when someone sees an alien, it's because whatever phenomena this is ends up taking that shape quantum mechanically, even if it's not actually that. If it's not actually a poltergeist or actually a ghost, it's just as it's being seen, it is therefore being measured and has to take something, some form in our brain in some weird way gives it that form what like a tulpa <laughs> no not like a tulpa that's a different topic altogether that's created out of nothing okay this I is maybe know. some other consciousness or some other something peeking in through our reality i don't know i don't know you know what i mean like, yeah i, I mean know. no i don't but i do <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know what do you see what i'm trying to say yeah i do i do I, it's it's just the same thing it's like once you cross a certain line you're like now i'm just speculating about like lord of the rings like i need to like go you need to go back to the evidence and look otherwise you're gonna be like I, i'm looking i'm not saying this is what's happening i'm saying look in look through another lens that is yeah no that lens that lens is cracked that lens is cracked so poltergeists uh don't have corporeal forms or, or they, they're not that you, you wouldn't see them anyway right. So, but they're still, so things are levitating, voices are happening. Yeah, it and maybe that's what you said, though. You're like, you would perceive it. No, 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 it doesn't fit. Well, maybe they're perceiving the toy levitating because that is what they associate with a poltergeist haunting. What? A creation of their own thing and whatever energy is there. So you're saying they're psychic. You're saying that they have the power of levitivity. No, 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 no. Hey, I got you, Jesse. I'm grabbing your hand. The audience is with you. Okay, listen, it's more like, they know something's happening and they believe it to be a poltergeist. So whatever energy is there puts on the poltergeist quote unquote mask and becomes whatever it is that they are kind of expecting to experience. So say another example, someone sees an alien or they have an abduction experience or scenario and whatever energy or other consciousness is peeking through through quantum quantum mechanics takes like the shape of an abduction experience, because that's what the brain of the person experiencing it is expecting to happen. So this entity puts on the alien abduction mask and that's what happens. And you can say that's Bigfoot. Bigfoot comes out of, you know, this weird sub sort of like brainwave thing. And, you know, like okay. this thing just puts on like the Bigfoot mask because that's what these people out in the woods would expect to see. Mathis? What you just said, oh God, <laughs> is one of the most 
insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered rational thought. Everyone in this room problem, is now right, dumber but that's the problem, right, man? But that's the thing, right? listened to you. I warned you no points. No, no, no. Maybe was all and may about. God have mercy on your soul. Maybe reality isn't as rigid as we want it to be, and all these things are just poking us and being like, sorry, man, like, Reality's way weirder. We already know. Like, we don't have to say maybe reality is not what we think it is because no, we uh, exactly. We literally found that out just the other day. Last week we yeah. learned that like three scientists won a Nobel Prize yeah. to to the shit. Oh, and the other thing that came out that I think is coming out today of the giant gravitational wave detector that as gravitational waves move through, these things become a, a width of a positron shorter in length than they actually are. And like another weird, like reality bending idea. So I'm trying to merge those two things, obviously, in a way that I'm not saying this is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. No, I, I understand. I understand. But I feel like this is the exact, and I mean this, the exact <laughs> same wavelength as when, like, you know, the weird Facebook people that post really <laughs> racist stuff, but they are like, well, science says that the vaccine does because they don't understand what they just read. I listen, feel like that's listen. a lot of us. No, sometimes. no, no. You cannot couple Nobel Prize winning. No, no, no. no. I rebuttal. You cannot link Nobel Prize winning scientists with a dentist saying oh, vaccines no, 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 don't no. work. I'm not linking. I'm, no, I'm linking you with that. No, <laughs> the no. The I'm scientists here. 100% know some stuff we read it and we're like i think i understand what they just said and then we just run with it and i'm saying no. that maybe we're on the same wavelength that we're just like not quite getting it i mean we can all agree about perception and reality <laughs> and like time space and everything everywhere all at once we know that's all true right yeah yeah like that's not debatable like i mean it is not debatable. anymore it's not it's not debatable in like the like an in, in academic sense now that that's that's like very likely true right yeah but but it's but it's you know what that means beyond the implications is where it starts to get uh you know all i'm saying is if there was no internet there would be a lot more vans in venice beach with a lot more riding on the side than you need to have on the van <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And everyone, and you can see everybody turning into that because they forget about the part where you stop at the facts and don't go into the implications too far because am, that's okay. where you go to crazy town. That's that's <laughs> me, all it is. Let me help out my two co-hosts who think I'm going down a racist tide. I don't think you are. No, no, no. Race has nothing to do with it. It has it's the same wavelength of like the people on the internet who say some like stupid ass shit about like vaccines or whatever. They read a thing, someone said That was that was true. That was absolutely probably like a fact of some sort, and then they extrapolated on that oh, and sure. ended up in a falsehood. Right? right. So maybe they read a report that said in like 2018 there was some something with a vaccine at some point, some and they're like, oh, well, then all vaccines are evil, like that kind of thing. One time, John Podesta wrote an email to Hillary Clinton about their pizza order for a fucking party. And I don't have to tell you what else happened. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. Hillary Clinton's kidnapping kids. Yeah. Yeah. And well, wait till I tell you boys, JFK Jr. still alive. I know RFK Jr. is still alive, and he has not shut the fuck up for us quite some time, though we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, shit. Yeah. I love I love I love a good man who's like don't take vaccines but takes human growth hormone. You know, like it's I love I love a good yeah. I love a good contradiction. But I'm saying like I think a BioShock character if you will. Like we're at a place where 
we're extrapolating a lot from science that is real, but I don't think we know enough. And so we're just like, but what if though, bro? And it's like, I don't know, dude. I don't know. Okay, but I, and so so with that with that out there, that's I, I'm that's what I'm doing right now. I don't actually believe like these things. What I'm doing like a a fun mind, like just a thought, like a nugget of something to just mull on to to just go. It's not saying it's true. It's not saying it's anywhere near fact. But it, it's an interesting like thought experiment, right? Like. <laughs> All right, I guess we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I am. I, I listen. I am. I'm ready for the weird shit to start happening. Okay, like I'm ready. I look. I know you are, which is why I have to keep bringing you back down. I have to drag you back down. You're my anchor. I'm floating away on a single wire. You want it? So you want it? And I got to be like, no. You got to like. I don't know. Is that why they? Is that thing like? If reality is the way it is. Shouldn't my willing, I mean, maybe that's why they don't want me, maybe because I already know the truth, so they don't need to come visit me, right? Um, Aliens, aliens I'm talking about? Sorry, I cut off my- You know, if that makes you, does that bring you comfort? Does that feel good? Does that like, are you like, that's why? Yeah. Because they already yeah, know, you know that I know, and so that's that why. It does make me feel like my we're, heart actually- We're basically friends, because they already know that I know. pounding as hard, actually. Yeah. I'm, here's the thought. thing, Mathis, out of all the arguments you've ever made- that's the one I buy the most. And this is the reason why. I hate you for this. Because I sat there. I have a lot of, you know, Final Fantasy 16 recently came oh, out. Oh, yeah. And I've noticed a lot of people, it's I just have friends, currently being paid to play the game on stream. And I uh-huh. thought to myself, why am I not being paid to play the game? And I realized, oh, I would have paid it for free anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? You sold me on this idea that, yeah, maybe the, the aliens truth. know that you are in already. So, like, why do they need to talk to you? So, they need to be visiting you, Jesse. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they need to be getting there. Because if they visit you, then Alex is already going to be sold. Because Alex is already somewhere in the middle, maybe a little. I'm not even in the middle. I'm here. I'm, I believe that if I, if seeing is believing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if. You know, to me, it's just more interesting to think about than to experience unless the aliens right here. Like, I'm sure that's been kind of my vibe now that things are getting are you a little bit to me. No, I just mean in general, you think like, I'm an alien. I don't. I don't actually think that. But I just mean that would make the most sense if it was an alien, though, because that's why he doesn't want us to believe if any of us is an alien. It's Jesse. Number one, maybe Dean. Number two. <laughs> I agree. Have you seen how tall Dean is? It's not that. It's just that he's like. Uh, you know, he's like in the shadows. Nobody really big, tall, white energy. Yeah. Yeah. He does have tall. This dude is a tall, white, he's like, got tall white energy. He's got final cut. He's from the north. You know, that's all it is. Absolutely. One of the most racist friends I've ever had is Dean. But that's just- Dean. Erase <laughs> Don't do that. that to him. Dean, delete Don't that. Do that to him. Are you should hear what he said about that Polish people that, that was him. one time. He's talking about how much he hates Polish people. Don't do that to him. Dean, delete this. <laughs> The look of shock on his face is my favorite. He went like this. No. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he did like the whole move arms, like stop talking to yeah. motion to all of us. But that's exactly what an alien would do. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Things were slowing down. And two years after the bizarre happenings, like I said, entirely ceased by 1979. The family was finally able to return to a semblance of normality, although their lives had been irrevocably altered by their experiences. And no matter what you think, about the girls hoaxing it or whatever, this definitely stressed the mom out so goddamn badly. She was so convinced things were happening. Um, they were something we didn't get into too much is that this ghost would leave notes on the table for the mom. Things like leave me tea or bring me tea or these weird little like things that we just didn't get into because it just really like was, leave me a really fiver matter. and a cornetto. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to go to the park today. That also has similarities to Jeff the Mongoose, who wanted things, who would demand gifts and, and things like that. So you This know. story is just ruining Jeff. Because now I'm like, it was a bunch of girls just pulling a prank. <laughs> and Jeff's like, bring me a Mars bar. And I'm like, oh, son, it was a couple of girls. Well, remember, the mom is really in my mind. My, my heart goes out to the mom because she remember when she learned that the uh, Society for Psychical Research were coming over. She fainted. Because she thought they were going to take her girls away like they took one of her oldest children away who had, um, uh, like, some depressive problems and so on. I think the kids were just bored. They did a thing. It got too much. And then, you know, I, as you get older and you start to see the world, one was 13 when it started, right? Yep. And by the end, she's like 15 and a half, 16. She probably wanted to go see boys. And probably the ghost thing was kind of cramping her vibes at school. That's all I'm saying. And yep. honestly, in reality, too, the longer it went on, the less time Gross and Playfair would have to spend as much time there, especially after a year. And again, I really, truly believe a big part of them doing whatever part of it was faked, all of it, some of it was to keep them there because of that, like, kind of attention that they were getting that they weren't getting a home. It was probably it was probably novel for a while. It's the same thing, like, you know, when somebody has a viral um, TikTok yeah. or a viral YouTube video and then they're like. The one time they got a viral, it was like, I ate a original Crystal Pepsi. I like drank a Crystal Pepsi from the 80s. And then their like entire life becomes like, I ate some toxic trash from the past. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't know why they're popular. They're just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, there's like a TikTok guy whose like, whole thing is like, he would you get really close to me, whip around, all of a sudden he'd be in a suit. Yeah. And that was like all, that was his whole thing. Made like 400 videos yes of the same thing and it's like by the end it's like he was trying to do other things but it's just nobody was there for that because tiktok yeah. doesn't reward that kind of thing or that guy yeah, that's yeah. like hello <laughs> see i that don't guy? know that one what <laughs> you know what don't worry about it that's tiktok baby yeah and one note pony and that's yeah. and i guess that makes sense like you know as the years went on they like you said this is all they had and they had these guys had others and that's what the enfield poltergeist is too a, a one tiktok pony well, what happened to these kids afterward? This one trick pony, one tick pony. Janet, the child most affected by the supposed poltergeist, grew up and moved away from Enfield entirely. She deleted her channel, basically. She really did. Yeah. She basically, she preferred to stay out of the public eye, uh, wishing to move on from the intense scrutiny of her childhood. However, I can imagine that sucks, too, as an adult. The only thing people talk to you about, care about, is your childhood, and that's all you ever, like, people just dig into. However, in the occasional interview that she did give over the years, Janet has maintained that the haunting was real. She has consistently supported uh, she has consistently supported the account she gave as a child, stating that while she did play tricks on occasion, the majority of the phenomena to her were very genuine. So she does admit to playing some tricks occasionally. Janet's sister Margaret has also corroborated her sister's account. Like Janet, she has lived a life largely away from the public eye, and she has insisted in the few interviews that she's given that while the attention and stress of the situation led them to play some pranks, the bulk of the phenomena could not be explained. Despite the differing accounts and unresolved mysteries, the Anfield Poltergeist case remains one of the most well-documented and widely discussed poltergeist cases in history. The events that took place in that unassuming council house in Enfield have continued to capture the imagination of the public and have been the subject of numerous books, documentaries, and even a Hollywood movie, as we talked about, with The Conjuring 2. Whether it was an elaborate hoax or a case of misunderstood natural phenomena or a, general, uh, a genuine haunting, 
the Enfield poltergeist case will forever be a touchstone in the study of, par- of the paranormal. And today, the Enfield poltergeist remains a fascinating study of the inexplicable, a complex knot of truths, half-truths, and straight-up lies and pranks, ambiguities that still spark debate among believers and skeptics alike. The Hodgson family, forever marked by their experiences, attempted to move forward. Peggy Hodgson, the mother who had to endure the stress and fear of the events, passed away in 2003, having lived in the same house until her death. Damn. Yeah, she did not move from that place. Her son, Billy, who had been less affected by the phenomena, also led a life away from the public eye until his death in 2006. The Enfield poltergeist case stretched the boundaries of what many people believe is possible. It presented a challenge to the investigators, both dedicated believers, open-minded observers, and hardened skeptics, all uh, in their own way trying to make sense of this seemingly senseless haunting. And whether or not one believes in the supernatural elements of the case, the story of the Enfield poltergeist is, above all, a human one, as I've been saying from the beginning. It's a tale of a family thrust into what it could be considered an extraordinary situations with two girls who very much felt lonely and enjoyed the attention that they were getting from this haunting, real or not, and a saga that unfolded in the public eye in a way I don't think any of them were expecting it to, full of twists and turns that continue to captivate and confound many to this day. And Janet Hodgson, in her adult life, has mostly kept a low profile. She's been cautious about giving interviews and public appearances, undoubtedly due to the media frenzy she and her family endured during her childhood. The Enfield Poltergeist case had a significant impact on her life and continues to be a subject of interest. And despite her general reluctance to engage with the media, Jana has given a few interviews over the years. In 2011, she gave an interview to the Daily Mail where she reiterated her belief in the authenticity of the paranormal events she experienced. She said, quote, I know from my experience. I don't know why she's an old Southern lady. Oh, no. Uh, That's That's Marge Simpson's mom right there. Yeah, yeah, that's who she is now. I know from my own experience that it was real. It lived off me, off my energy. It, like, got better, the impression. And I don't even watch The Simpsons. I've only seen a couple episodes. I didn't doubt that you ever have. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I got some of my one impression I can do, apparently. She further explained the impact of the events had on her life. Quote, It was the very, very frightening time. I was bullied at school. They called me Ghost Girl and put crane flies down my back. What is a crane fly? I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. That's something I didn't look up. I should have looked it up. I didn't. I don't know why. I was crane just... fly are like big ass looking mosquito dudes. Oh, yeah. I am not a mosquito. A crane fly. They would just put those down her back and call her Ghost Girl because kids are kids. Yeah, skeeter hawks, skeeter eaters. Yeah, okay. They look like mosquitoes, but they're not. Yeah, they're very, very <laughs> passive. Skeeter eaters. Skeeter eaters. And, and I believe, I believe also one of the many creatures that are referred to as Daddy Long Legs. Skeeter eaters. Skeeter eaters. So, yeah, they called her Ghost Girl and put these things down her back under her shirt. And that's got to, like, as a, that's just mean, dude. That's just gnarly. How do you even do that without destroying them before you when you're what 11 years old kids don't care man and they might have been dead they might have accidentally killed it and just put him down her shirt you know in that very same interview she also admitted to playing tricks maybe once or twice simply to see if the investigators would catch on but firmly stated that the vast majority of incidents were genuine and beyond her understanding or control she also spoke about the consequences of the haunting on her later life she mentioned that she had experienced inexplicable phenomena in her, in, her, yeah, in her adult life as well, leading her to believe that she may be particularly susceptible to such events. And it would, again, 
I want to bring up an interesting comparison. Alien and UFO sightings are weirdly follow people around and, and tend to pass on generation to generation. Janet's accounts of the haunting in her adulthood remain consistent with her childhood claims, adding another layer of weird mystery. But the Daily Mail is kind of like a... A rag? Like an... Uh, yeah, right. I'm, there's another word for it, though. Like, what's the actual word for it? Tabloid? Yes, tabloid. It's a tabloid, correct? Like, Daily Mail is a tabloid. A shitty publication? A bad, bad journalism? Janet's accounts of the haunting in her adulthood remain consistent, uh, like I said. And despite the scrutiny, skepticism, and the passage of time, uh, Janet continues to stand by her story, affirming her belief in the haunting that changed her life forever. God bless you, Janet. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, you know, it seems like. At the very least, you know, whether Janet was, the, you know, and I fully believe that I think a lot of this may still very much be a hoax, if not the whole thing. It fucked up the other parts of the family, especially her mom. And I feel for them. And it does seem like, you know, if you listen to the interviews, Janet, like she has some on camera interviews as well. She just looks like a very uh, troubled woman who does not seem to be enjoying life all that much. Take that for as, as you will. You never know what that, you know, can mean. Um, but, you know, that's just where it is. That's where we're left with the Enfield poltergeist. Before we wrap up the episode, final thoughts, boys. What do you think this was? Any part of it was real? Any part of it at all? Or 100% a hoax done by the girls because the attention they were getting was nice? I can't speak to what started this, you know? I think maybe it could have started as something real that they all experienced together in the house, but I think maybe once you got that taste, right? Once these girls got that taste, I think it's fairly clear that they did most of this and that they don't want to cop to it. Uh, even Janet, like, I think it's fairly clear just like there's nothing in this that makes me go, Oh, but what about that one impossible to explain yeah. thing that nothing. makes it all seem real? It's like the best things we got is like a recording of a girl going like, Nyow! and, uh, <laughs> that same girl, like leaping from one bed to the other. Uh, excuse me. She's levitating. Uh, okay, but uh, I, I levitate all the time, too, in between steps that I take uh, down the street. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I think, like, yeah. this is like a classic, like, Fargo-esque scenario where the truth, the lie just got so big that they kind of started learning, like, weird magic tricks uh, out of fear, and they probably got tired of doing that. And they probably just stopped for that reason. That's my that's my feeling. And boys, I think also was probably a, like just <laughs> and boys school, not just boys, like school in general, just like sure. the social aspect of being a teenager and being known as like the ghost kids probably sucked. I mean, yeah, that probably not not fun to be teased about that. Jesse, I imagine you're similarly feeling similar. Yeah, I I, I would be a fool to say that there's no chance. Sure. But I have been known to be a fool, so I think the two of them made it up. They did it for attention, but also to do it to, like, get one over on adults because it's mm. always fun to think you've, like, tricked an adult, like you're smarter than them. And so I think there's a lot of that, too, especially if it's two kids working together. Like, it's always fun to, like, know a thing that someone else doesn't know, and you're pulling this prank on them, and, oh, my God, they're buying it, and these stupid Americans came over, and now they're buying it. Uh, and, you know... And yes, absolutely. God, I can't imagine opening my door and seeing fucking dumpy ass Ed and Wa Lorraine Warren there and just be like, get demon is in your house, let me in. <laughs> and absolutely the blowback at school and stuff. I think that is something they didn't account for. Yeah. Like, oh, this is something that's going to get other kids making fun of us. They did it because it was fun to do in the moment. And then eventually it became 
something bigger. And what were they going to do? Tell the kids at school? It wasn't real. We made it up. Right? Yeah. And maybe they did. Maybe there's a kid somewhere who's like, I was in school with them. And they said it was all fake. Maybe. I don't know. But um, they've never come forward if they have. Uh... Yeah. Again, there could be a 1% chance. Sure. I'll never say anything's impossible. You know what? I'm going to go crazy and say I think there's a 10% chance something happened that at least maybe kicked this whole thing off. I think it's likely that there was some sort of origin, right? Yeah, yeah. But I also think a lot of it is hoax, tricks, the attention was too good, everything about it just kind of suits. They were never able to catch it unless she wasn't being watched and all these other things. Um, You know, there were even points, again, in the investigation where in order to even have them talk the demon talked or whatever talk through her voice they, they had to be in the same room but they had to face away from each other and that was the only way it would talk through it what? it's it's funny it's funny that the show that was like based off of this that i covered in that episode yeah also was like a thing that everybody thought was real and then turned out to be like extremely fake and then everybody yeah. you know it like caused like problems it's like very accurately mirrored to like what happened with janet or margaret or whichever one of them margaret Janet was the main one, yeah. Yeah, Janet, and and the other one was actually called Margaret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's similar. It's funny that the the hoax begat a hoax. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, I, I think I sit with you both, but for the most part, I, I think I believe most of it was a hoax. Um, but we'll say there there it is. Promises made, promises kept. This is an episode I said we would do. I guess like in like the first handful of episodes we brought up the Enfield in the previous decade of this. Yeah, world. I was like we were going to talk. We'll definitely do this. Before the 2020s. I'm excited. I'm glad we waited to do it so I could actually do the research and stuff. And it was a fun little story and a haunting that is rather famous in the paranormal world. But this is also one of the reasons like hauntings aren't a big topic on the show because there's not a lot of them that have this level of like detailed logs. Did you know that there's a movie of the curse of La Llorona? What? There's a La La Llorona? La Llorona? My Sharona? My Sharona. Did you know that that movie is actually part of The Conjuring? I hate that. I Isn't did that not funny? Know that. I did yeah. not actually know that. I didn't find that out till just now. Yeah, I didn't find that out till just now. All right, we're off to do a mini-sode over at patreon.com slash IlluminatiPod, where at the $15 tier, you can get the mini-sode audio version. At the $20 tier, you can get the video version as well as everything else, including at the $20 tier, rotten popcorn and digital posters every month. So many stones. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. 